Let's just begin with a word of prayer together. Our Heavenly Father, uh, as we prepare to close out another year of life, we just want to pause for a moment, God, and say thank you for the gift of life. We know that every breath comes from you. Every day is a gift. We take none of it for granted and we worship you. So, Father, thank you. And as we move into a new year together, God, I pray that we would remember that it's in your presence, God, where you make known to us the path of life. And that's the path we want to travel this coming year, God, the path of life, where in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God, we will find whatever we search for, whatever we're looking for, in one place only, and that's in your presence. And so we embrace your presence right now, God, and we, we, we invite you to be here with us. We want to experience you. We want to know you. We want to hear from you. So, God, we say, like we do all the time around here, speak, oh God, for your child is listening. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to Metro for the last service of 2014, right? This is our last weekend. Next week, we move into a whole new year. Can you believe it's going to be 2015? That is so bizarre to me. 2015 sounds like some science fiction thing, doesn't it? 2015. Um, but as we prepare to enter a new year, one of the things that I love doing, and I've had a chance to do it every year for years, because Jeremy loves having the week off after Christmas, he gives me the opportunity to speak the week after Christmas. And I love doing it. It's kind of something I've, I've grown to really look forward to. And it's because, I don't know, there's just something about the end of one year and the beginning of another that does something to me. I reflect on a lot of things. I reflect on my life. I reflect where I want to head in a new year. And I always come back to the simple basics of the faith. It's always what grips my heart as I close out one year to prepare to end another. another. And it doesn't get any more basic than the practice of prayer. You know, you think about prayer, one of the things that's the most, most common thing almost among everybody who calls themselves human, right? A, a, an absolute commonality in the human experience is the experience of prayer. Almost everybody at one time or another in their lives prays. It's true. I mean, even, even in a remote tribe in the jungle where they have no book in their, their own language, like they have no written word at all, some remote tribe somewhere out in the middle of nowhere, they offer gifts to the gods and they pray for things like basic everyday things like food and health and for the weather and all these different things. And we find this every time that we discover a new people group out there in the world. They have some practice of prayer. You go back to the ancient Aztec and, and the Incan Indians and they had some bizarre practices in prayer. They even did things like human sacrifice as part of their prayer, just crazy things. But, but still, some effort to connect with the gods, right? The act of prayer, it's, it's almost inborn into the human soul. If you're Muslim, you pause five times a day. To this day, even here in the 21st century, this modern world in which we live, if you're Muslim, you pause five times a day for prayer, no matter what you're doing. And if you can trust these Gallup polls that are out there about these sorts of things, four out of five adults in America claim to pray at least once a week. Isn't that crazy? Four out of five adults claim to pray at least once a week. In fact, according to these polls, more Americans will pray this week than will exercise, drive a car, have sex, or go to work. Isn't that interesting? More people will pray this week than will do any of those things. 
So, so why is this? Why is prayer just part of being human? No matter who you are. I, I even read some articles this week about how atheists pray. It's really crazy. Even people who claim to be atheists from time to time, just in case there's some God out there somewhere, they whisper a prayer. It's almost like it's just, like Pastor Jeremy mentioned, it's like it's hardwired inside of us to want to connect with our maker. Philip Yancey is an author. He writes a lot of Christian books. He wrote a book simply called Prayer. Here's what he said about this. He said, we pray because we want to thank someone or something for the beauties and glories of life. And also because we feel small and helpless and sometimes afraid. We pray for forgiveness, for strength, for assurance that we're not alone. Isn't that true? You just want something out there to connect with. When you look up at the sky and at the stars and you look at this world and sometimes even you just look in the mirror. And, and you ever have those moments where something in your body is not working right? And you just have this moment where you're just in awe that anything's working right. And how much we take for granted every day. This, this miraculous machine that we call the human body, there's just got to be something out there that designed all of this. We have this desire to connect with. I'll never forget my own first experiences with prayer. And so think about this for your own life for a minute. Think about your earliest experiences of prayer in your life. Who was it that taught you to pray? For me, it was my grandfather, my papa, on my dad's side, my dad's father. I'll never forget, I used to spend almost every weekend with my grandparents. My parents were divorced, and I, I kind of came from this broken family. And I loved going to visit my grandma Babe and my papa Jim. Yep, her name really was Babe, that's what we called her. Uh, but I loved going over there to visit them. I went almost every weekend. And I'll never forget, before bed every night, my papa would kneel down with me next to the bed. Literally, the, the, the smartest and strongest man I knew would, would get on his knees before God with his little grandson. He'd lead me in prayer. And, and by the time I was five years old, I had memorized the Lord's Prayer. I could quote it from you from memory. By the time I was five, he'd lead me in the Lord's Prayer. That's how we always started. And then we would go through every person in our family and ask God to bless them. And I've got vivid memories of those times in prayer and especially vivid memories of this strong and intelligent man on his knees before God asking for help. That left a profound impact in my life. It affects me to this day. I miss my papa. He's gone on to be in heaven now. Uh, but I'll, I'll forever be grateful for the lessons that he taught me, one of the most important of which, teaching me how to pray. Now, of course, the greatest teacher on prayer who's ever lived was none other than Jesus himself, right? Jesus was the master teacher on prayer. And the reason is because he prayed like nobody before him ever had prayed before. Jesus actually prayed as if he was a little child and God was his daddy. And it was striking to people. Nobody had ever prayed this way before. Jesus referred to God as his Abba, which is an interesting little word. It's an Aramaic word, and it really was one of the very first words that an Aramaic child would learn when he's first learning to talk. You know those first words, mama, dada? That's Abba. That was the Aramaic word for a little child to refer to his daddy. And this is how Jesus prayed. 
Jesus' prayers, they were intimate, personal, and powerful prayers. And the people closest to him were in awe of this, amazed by his prayers, and wanted to learn from him. And when Jesus was then trying to teach other people to pray, this is the very first thing that he taught them. The first lesson of prayer from Jesus is to approach God as your Abba. Listen to this. This is from Luke chapter 11. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Wouldn't you have loved to have had that chance with Jesus? Lord, teach us to pray like you pray. He said to them, when you pray, say, Abba, Father. This is how God wants us to approach him. And this is something we've got to get around. When you really try to figure out Christianity, Abba is the Christian name for God. This is what Christianity is. Christianity, to become a Christian, is to approach God the way a little child approaches his daddy. This was a consistent theme in Jesus' teaching. In fact, Jesus went so far as to say that unless you become like a little child and God becomes your daddy, you can never enter the kingdom of heaven. Listen to what Jesus said. He says, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. This is the doorway in. you got to become like a little child, reaching up to your daddy, your Abba. Now, of course, one of the reasons it was easy for Jesus to talk this way is because Jesus, this actually was true of Jesus. Jesus actually was God's little child. And God was his Abba. He was his daddy. The most fundamental truth about God. You want to know who God is? The most fundamental truth about him is that God has always been a father who has a son that he loves. That's who God is. If you want to know what God was doing before he created the heavens and the earth, he was a father who was loving his son. And he was a son who was receiving love from his father and reflecting it back to him. And the Holy Spirit was the one carrying that love between them as their personal gift to one another. And this is the Christian doctrine of the Trinity. Now, I realize the Trinity is, some people think of it as a deep and mysterious and profound kind of a truth. But at the exact same time, it's an amazing and a glorious and a breathtaking truth. It's a beautiful thing that this is who God is. God is a daddy. That's his fundamental nature. That's who he is. When when all there is is God, he's a daddy who has a son that he loves. A beautiful and a glorious truth. And and the shocking and almost too good to be true message of Christianity is that Jesus came into the world. Jesus brought into the world this message that God and his son and his spirit invite sinful people like you and me to share in the very same life and love that they have shared together forever. You and I are invited into a family. This is the message of Christianity. We're invited to become the children of God. And if that doesn't do something inside of you, you're dead inside. This is the greatest message you could possibly ever hear. When I talk to atheists about Christianity, I'm baffled by why anybody would not want this to be true. I'll say this to atheists, and they just look at me like they've never heard this before. Like it, it, It leaves them speechless for a minute. I say, well, let me tell you something. If Christianity's not true, it should be. It's the greatest message ever. 
I desperately want it to be true, and I'm so glad it is that God is a father who invites me into his family. God wants to be our father, and he wants us to be his kids. Jesus wants to be our brother, and they want to share their Holy Spirit with us. Galatians chapter 4, it says, God sent forth his son. Why did he do that? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, this is how you know you're a Christian. Do you have the witness of the Holy Spirit inside of you, crying out to God, Abba, Father? Have you become a child of God? Has God become your father? This is what it means to become a Christian. It means to approach God the way a little child approaches his daddy. In Matthew 19, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So according to Jesus, this is the prerequisite for prayer. Prayer is only true prayer when you're like a little child coming to your daddy. Isn't that freeing? Because you know, little child, don't have to, they don't have to get much of anything right. They're just little children. God's not, he has very low expectations of all of this. He's not expecting a lot out of you, really. He expects to do most of the work. He, he expects to hold your hand and show you how to do it. This is what Christianity is like. And so for the rest of the message today, what I want to do is I want to unpack what it means to humble yourself before God like a little child when it comes to prayer. And I want to convince you that this is the greatest thing you could ever do. And the reason it's the greatest thing you could ever do, to, to humble yourself like a little child, for God to become your daddy is because this is the way to, to release the activity of God into your life. When you become his child, God becomes your father. All of his divine power and resources go to work for you. The scripture says God is for us. When we're his children, you know how it is if you've got kids. You're for your kids. All of your effort and energy and resources go to promote the well-being, the goodness, and love for your kids. And so this releases the activity of God in your life. It enables you to experience his presence and his power. And there's nothing we need more as we close out 2014 and enter 2015. I don't know about you, but I want more of the presence and power of God in my life. Don't you? Isn't this something that you want for your life? Don't you want to grow and become more dependent on God? Right? Don't you want God to move in your life? Don't you want God to move in your family? Don't you want God to move in your friendships? Don't you want God to move in your work? And don't you want God to move in this church? It's going to be a big year for us. We're launching a second campus this year. It's a big year, and it only happens one way, to release the activity of God, the presence and the power of God in your life, in your church, and in our midst. It only happens one way. Prayer is the only way to receive this. And it's not just any kind of prayer. It's prayer like a little child coming to his daddy. That's the kind of prayer. Now, when I think of a little child, I think of a preschooler. And there's a reason for that, because I got two of them who live in my house. 
right? Evan and Bella. I've got four-year-old twin preschoolers. It's an adventure living with two preschoolers at the same time. But we, we do this every day. And, and the awesome thing about being a father of preschoolers is that I get a firsthand lesson every day of what God wants from us in our relationship to him. I get to live this and experience this every day. So in the spirit of becoming like preschoolers, everybody ready for this? You ready to become like a preschooler in the presence of God? So in the, in the, in the spirit of this, I'm going to take you back to your Sesame Street days for a minute. You remember Sesame Street? Any, any Sesame Street fans in the house? Right? Bert and Ernie. You got Big Bird, Oscar the Grouch, the purple puppet named Grover? Come on, nobody remembers Grover? <laughs> Grover was awesome. He's way better than Elmo. Look, if you're, if you're 30 or under, Elmo was probably your favorite. Elmo was nothing when we were kids, right? Grover, Big Bird, all these guys were the ones. Anybody remember like when Tickle Me Elmo was the big Christmas gift that everybody wanted, right? Tickle Me Elmo. Well, so if you remember Sesame Street, every episode of Sesame Street was dedicated to what? Do you remember? A different letter of the alphabet. Remember this? Today's episode is dedicated to the letter P. And so, in the spirit of this, this is what we're going to do here at Metro today. Today's sermon at Metro is dedicated to the letter P. And I'll explain this in a minute. So, I've identified 10 characteristics. I worked hard at this, so you've got to humor me on this. I worked really hard. Uh, 10 characteristics of what it means to pray like a little child. And every one of them begins with the letter P. All right, so here's how we're going to do this. Now, one more disclaimer. Anytime you hear a preacher say he's got 10 points in his sermon, you're afraid he's going to talk forever. Jeremy talks forever, all right? I don't talk forever, so don't worry. It's going to go fast. It's it's true. He he talks forever. But it's really good. (laughs) So here we go. The first characteristic of praying like a little child is this, all right? The first P, little children are precious to their father. They're precious. The first step to effective prayer is understanding that you are precious to God. Now, for big fancy adults like us, this is hard for us. To actually believe that the creator of the universe, the one that made the heavens and the earth, it's hard for us to believe that he even knows who we are, let alone that somehow he's interested in the details of our everyday lives and that somehow he's with us. Right, big fancy adults, we we have an issue with this. But little children don't have this problem. And I've learned this, living with preschoolers. Little children, they they don't even ask these kind of questions. To them, it's a no-brainer. God is here in the room. They know that all the time. God is here and God cares about them personally and cares about everything that's going on in their life. When I listen to my little preschooler pray, it's amazing the things they think God cares about. (laughs) Diarrhea, poop. The germies that come out, they thank God for the germies that come out when they have diarrhea. It's weird. Like, I'm like, wow, you think God cares about this? Look, this is what it's like. Little children know they're precious to God and that he's here with them. He cares about everything. Luke chapter 12, here's what Jesus said. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't miss the the impact of that statement. The hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Right? And somebody in the room today needs to hear this. 
You are valuable to God. You are precious to him. He cares about you. You're always on his mind. I I really think this is true. If God were to stop thinking about you for one second, you would stop existing. The fact that you exist is proof that you are on God's mind. You, personally, as an individual, he cares deeply about you and the details of your life. He knows how many hairs you have on your head, which is a tough job for some of us. Does anybody else have a wife who sheds? My wife sheds. Her, her hair is all over the house, which means every time one of them falls out, God's renumbering. Every time. It amazes me. He keeps track of every strand and adjusts his count, which I find amazing. If you really want to see how valuable you are to God, there's one place you need to look. Look at the cross. Look at what God did for you. Remember when I said the fundamental thing about God, the most fundamental thing about who he is, is that he is a father who has a son that he loves? That's who God is. You want to know what he did with that son? He sent that son the object, the the greatest object of his love, he sent that son into this world to die on a cross for you. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, think about the impact that that should have on your prayers. Think about the kind of logic you could bring to your prayers. And Jesus, he didn't wait for you to try to figure it out. He put it in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Now, don't miss the logic here. This is an argument. This is logic. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, he gave us him. He already gave you the greatest thing he could possibly give. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give you all things? I mean, if he gave you his son, what's he going to keep from you? Nothing. It actually says in the Bible, all things are yours. You've got to wait patiently for them. There's coming a day. You're going to inherit the earth. Look, this is what God's plan is for his children. He gave his son for us. You are precious. You are valuable to him. He will not withhold any good thing from you. You are precious to him. You need to embrace that thought. You need to bring that thought to your prayers. You are precious to God. He cares about your life. The second P is this. Little little children are protected by their father. Now, since little children know they're precious to their father, they also know that he's going to protect them from anything that's not ultimately good for them. Now, that that was a very carefully crafted sentence, so pay attention to it again. He will keep, he will protect you from anything that is not ultimately good for you. That ultimate word is very important because there are a lot of things that go on in our lives that it's hard to believe how they could be good for us. Anybody got anything like that going on right now? Something going on in your life right now that it's hard for you to believe how this could ever be good for you. And there's some tension in this. But the tension is resolved in my favorite verse in the Bible, Romans 8, 28. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, 
to those who are called according to his purpose. So what that means is God only allows something in your life if it will ultimately turn out good for you. Now in the moment, things are not good very often. They are not good in and of themselves. There are a lot of things like that. There are a lot of things I've gone through in my life that were not good in and of themselves. But God has this way. Your daddy up in heaven has this way for his little children of taking everything that ever happens and somehow spinning it into this plan that blows your mind with blessing. I've lived it. So many of you have lived it. If you're in the middle of a time in your life right now where something is going on that you can't imagine how this could ever be good for you, just wait. This is a promise from the maker of heaven and earth. All things he will work together for good to those who love him. Jesus once told a parable to illustrate this and the impact on our prayer life. Matthew 7, he says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So you think about this for a minute. When you pray and you ask for bread, you never get a stone. When you ask for a fish, you never get a snake. You either get what you ask for or you get something better, never something worse. Your Father in heaven only gives good gifts to his children. And so again, when you pray, you release the activity of God into your life. Just pray. Come to your daddy and pray. And his activity to do nothing but give good, get good gifts to you gets released into your life. Ask for whatever you want. You will never get something worse than what you ask for. Only something better. We are precious to him. He protects us. He provides for us. The next P is this. Little children are powerless. Little children know they can't do most things on their own. Do you know that about yourself? Do you, do you realize this about life? See, some of us just need a good dose of humbling so we can actually realize that what Jesus said is actually true in John 15, 5, when Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. This is true. Little children, they know they're not strong enough to fight off those that try to hurt them. They're not strong enough to do most things on their own. So they look to their daddy to help them and fight for them. And this is what little children do. They know that if God is for us, nobody can successfully be against us. And so as we approach 2015, this is how we need to learn how to live. We need to live like helpless children who depend on their heavenly father. We need to stop trying to do things on our own. We need to ask God to help us. We need to stop fighting our own battles and ask God to fight for us. So you think about what this mean, what might mean for your life. It would mean for you to stop trying to fix your marriage and ask God to help you. It would mean for you to stop trying to find that new job on your own and ask God to help you. Stop trying to find that special someone on your own and ask God to help you. Stop trying to overcome depression or addiction on your own and ask God to help you. Make 2015 a different kind of year in your life. 
where you stop trying so hard and you look to God for his help and his strength. This is what God wants from us. We are powerless on our own. Make 2015 a year of childlike faith in your life. Your heavenly father loves you. You're precious to him. Come to him. Pray to him. Spend some private time alone with him. Depending on him and asking for help. Little children want, to, want, want some time alone with their daddy. Isn't that true? Little children are private. This is the next P. They like time alone with their parents. Now, it's always funny. My kids are kind of like this sometimes, although around the church they've gotten to know everybody, so everybody's like family to them. But it is weird when you see a little kid, they're really shy around other people, but not shy at all around their parents. You know, they'll cower away, and they just they want to be alone with their, with their parents, with their mommy, their daddy. And this is how God wants us to be with him. God wants us to get away from everyone and everything and spend some time alone with him. And so we need to make a habit of this in 2015. I don't know if this is already a habit in your life. It needs to be more consistent in my own life, and it's true for all of us. God wants time with you. There's an old song I used to love back from the 80s, 80s Christian music. you got to love it. Larnell Harris. Anybody remember Larnell Harris? He has this song called I Miss My Time With You was the name of the song. And it's a song from God's perspective, singing it to his people. I miss my time with you. And this is what God says to us. I believe it. Jesus taught us this. He says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Abba. Time alone with God. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. God wants time with you. And little children, they're not only precious to God, they're not only protected by Him, they're not only powerless, they're not only private, but they're passionate, right? Isn't this true of little kids? One of my favorite things about my four-year-old twins is they feel everything with intensity. It is unbelievable. Like, when they're happy, they are happy. And when they are sad, they are sad. They, every emotion is intense with them, right? When they're happy, it's not uncommon for them to jump up and down and, and sing songs with glee. Like, it's crazy. But when they're sad, oh my goodness, the crocodile tears those kids can shed. And this is what God wants us to be. He wants us to be passionate. He wants us to express our feelings to him with passion, right? God wants to know how you feel, so don't be afraid in prayer to tell him. If you're happy, tell him. If you're sad, tell him. If you're angry, tell him. God wants you to express your feelings, your emotion to him. And he wants you to be persistent in prayer. Little children are persistent. Now, my little guy Evan, again, my, my kids are like the biggest lesson book for this entire message. Because Evan, every morning for breakfast, asks me if he can have candy for breakfast. <laughs> every day. Can I have candy? And he's got the deepest voice for a four-year-old ever. It's, Dad, can I have candy? He's four years old. Can I have candy? Every day. And, and every day I say, no. You can't have candy for breakfast. He, he asked me again the next day, every day. I say, no, you can't have candy for breakfast. Dad, can I have candy? And then sometimes, the minute I tell him no, he waits about 10 minutes, and then he asks again. And I say no every time. Except for sometimes, but don't tell Tara. <laughs> okay? 
This is a very interesting dynamic that God wants from us. God wants us to be persistent in prayer. God wants us to not take no for an answer. I don't know if you knew this about God. God loves this character trait. One of his favorite things in prayer is when people are persistent and won't take no for an answer. Listen to this story. This is a crazy little story. Luke chapter 8. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, listen to this crazy story. In a certain town there was a judge who, was, who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. And then the Lord looks at his people, he says, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Jesus tells this crazy story about this widow who keeps pestering and badgering the judge until finally, because he's sick of her bothering him, he grants her request. Now, It's very clear the judge does not represent God in the parable because it says he doesn't care about God or what people think. His point is that even an unjust judge, eventually, if you're persistent enough, grants your request. And he's careful to say, your father in heaven, he will give you justice if you cry to him day and night. God loves when we're persistent. So evidently, One of the reasons God doesn't answer our prayers right away. Anybody have any prayers you've been praying for years? I do. One of the reasons God doesn't answer our prayers right away is he wants us to be persistent. It pleases him when we don't give up. It pleases him when we refuse to take no for an answer. Now, now don't get me wrong on this. I'm not saying that God loves a demanding child. Nobody loves a demanding child. A child that demands their way, right? That's not what God's saying. He loves a persistent child. So don't be afraid to pray for the same thing over and over and over again for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Some of you, you have children who are, who are far from God. And that's been true for years. Don't give up. If you've prayed for 40 years, God loves the persistence and he might be waiting until you're 41. There are things, there are prayers that God has not answered in your life because you weren't persistent enough. And he loves this kind of persistence. Now, the next P of prayer is going to help us with this. It'll help us be persistent without being demanding. This one's really important. Little children are perceptive. See, little children quickly learn their parents' tendencies. They know which things mom is likely to give and not give, which things dad is likely to give and not give. There's a reason they ask me for candy for breakfast, and they don't ask mom, okay? There's a reason for that. They know, they, they, they learn these tendencies, right? And this is absolutely key in our relationship with God, absolutely key. There are certain things that God will never give you no matter how often you ask. You've got to learn his character. Here's what it says in James chapter 4. You do not have because you do not ask God. So there are things you don't have just because you haven't asked. You don't have because you don't ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives 
that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So understanding the character of God is, is key to being be able to, to pray effectively, which is why for my own life, I found that the Bible is the most important thing for my prayer life. If you want to revolutionize your prayer life, start combining your Bible reading with your prayers and pray what you read in the Bible. Listen, if you start asking God to keep his promises to you, they're his promises. You know you're praying consistent with what God wills. God will answer those prayers in keeping with the rest of what we've said today. And I've also learned that when my prayers are filled with love for others and they're not selfish, they're more consistent with the character of God. Right? So little children are perceptive. They learn their father's tendencies. All right, three more Ps really quick, and then we're going to move into a time of beautiful communion together. Three more Ps real quick. Little children are picky. Ever met a picky little child? My kids, they're very picky, especially with what they eat. But they know exactly what they want and when they want it. This is what God, God does not want vague prayers. He wants specific prayers. He wants picky prayers. He wants to tell him exactly what you want. You don't got to pull any punches. You don't need to butter him up with fancy sounding words. If you want to be healed, ask. If you want forgiveness, ask. If you want guidance or wisdom in your life, just ask. God wants you to be specific. Don't be vague. Be, be picky and be persuasive. I don't know about your kids, but my, life, my kids like to debate their case with me. You know what I mean? Like they make their arguments to try to persuade me. They're like, attorney, they're like an attorney in a courtroom sometimes. It's true. And God loves this. God loves when you use his own words against him. And you pray to try to persuade him. He loves when you appeal to his reputation and his name. One of my favorite examples of this is Moses praying to God out in the desert after the exodus. God has threatened to destroy the entire nation of Israel because they started worshiping a golden calf out in the desert. He parts the Red Sea. He rescues them from Egypt. They get out into Egypt and they start worshiping a golden calf. God is angry and he threatens to destroy them. Listen to Moses' prayer. Think about the audacity of this. Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self... I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give your descendants all this land I promised them. And it will be their inheritance forever. So you see what Moses is doing. He's saying, wait a minute. You made promises. You rescued them. Why would you want people to speak evil of you? That you brought them out just to kill them. Do you really want that to be your reputation? You see what he's doing. Look what God did. Then the Lord relented. And did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. That's awesome. (laughs) Look, God wants us to bring our case before him. He wants us to plead with him, to convince him. Now, don't worry. Look, God's not going to do something if it's not the right thing to do. Right? If you're wrong in your request, God's not going to back down. Moses was right. God was prodding Moses. He wanted Moses to do this to plead with him, to claim his promises. And God wants us to do this in our own lives, to quote his promises back to him, to hold him to his word. God loves that. 
for us to come boldly before him and argue our case. Because here's the last P. Little children are precocious. Now that's a great word. Precocious. They're bold. They're fearless. Now at first glance, it might sound crazy to be bold and fearless with God. I mean, after all, we're sinful people. What right do we have? Right? I mean, what right do we have to come before God? What right do we even have to pray? And the answer is, on our own, we have no rights. I mean, it's true. We don't have any right to any of this. But this is what Christmas is all about. Jesus came into the world to remove the distance between us and God and to make a way. Jesus opened up access for us. Jesus brought the invitation. When Jesus died on that cross, when he rose from the dead, when he ascended into heaven and sent us his Holy Spirit, he brought the invitation for you and I to come boldly into the presence of God claiming our rights as children and heirs of the king. It really is incredible what Jesus did for us. Now, make no mistake about it, Jesus is the only way to this. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to God but through him. Jesus is the son of God who invites us to become his brothers. You don't become the brother of Jesus, you don't become the the child of God. He is the only way. But because of Jesus, we have access. We can come boldly into his presence, like precocious little children. And so I want us to be a little precocious tonight. We're going to celebrate communion together. Stand to your feet with me for a moment. The reason I had you stand is I want you to be precocious, I want you to be bold today. I want you to claim your rights as a child of God. God God wants you to do this. He's offering this to you. Come, claim my promises. Ask whatever you want. It's crazy what the promise is in John chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in me, Jesus says, and my words abide in you. So, think of all these peas that we shared today. They, they create a big, balanced whole of what a little child is like in the presence of God. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You might have to wait. You might have to pray it for 30 years. You might not get it till you get to heaven. But listen, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So let's let this verse become the banner over our lives in 2015. You with me on this? Let's memorize this. Let's claim this. Let's live this in the presence of God. And so right now, as we come and prepare to do communion together, you know what communion is about. Communion is about the broken body of Jesus. Broken for you. That's what the bread represents. The cup represents his blood that was shed for you. That broken body and that shed blood is your access to come boldly into the presence of God as his precocious little child. Come. And listen. This is for children of God. Communion is for children of God. This is a family meal. We're gathering around his table, spread by your daddy and your brother for you. If you are not a child of God, you can become one right now. It really is not complicated. Jesus said this, to all 
who receive me. Receive him as your savior. Receive him as your brother. Receive him as the Lord and master of your life. To all who receive me, I give the right to become children of God. If you're ready, even in this moment, if you came in here today, not a child of God, it's as simple as just receiving. It's a gift offered to you, free of charge. You don't got to pay for it. You don't got to work for it. Nothing you have to do. Just receive. And it's yours. And you'll become a precocious little child of God. And we invite you to come and join us at communion today. So John's going to lead us for a moment. When you're ready, you know how we do this. The, the, the stations are set up along here in front. As you come, I want you to come precociously, boldly, with a request on your heart. Think of something you want to ask your daddy for. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's a relationship restored. I don't know. The promise is ask whatever you want. Be persuasive. Be persistent. Be picky. Be like a little child. Come to your Abba. Come when you're ready.
Oh